0: Welcome or welcome back to will Act for Change. This podcast is where we delve into the relationship between activism and advocacy in theater and film arts. I am your host, Kat Kemet, and today we are joined by actress, director, and playwright Melanie McQueen. Melanie is an accomplished artist appearing on dozens of TV shows and films such as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Ferris Bueller, and L.A. Law. She has become a fixture in Los Angeles theater scene, working as a director at Theater 40 in Beverly Hills. Throughout her career, she has worked to write, direct, and develop works that illuminate social issues. In the 1990s, Melanie wrote a musical highlighting the oppression of certain groups in the name of religion titled In the Name of God or Honk If You Love Satire. The musical enjoyed an off-Broadway run after winning multiple awards across the Los Angeles and Valley area, including for Best New Musical. Since then, she has been heavily involved in directing works at Theater 40. I recently had the pleasure of working with her in The Revolutionists, a play starring four very real women from the French Revolution. The play grappled with violence and legacy, art and activism, feminism and terrorism, compatriots and chosen sisters, and how we actually do go about changing the world. Melanie directed the show with a deft hand and an understanding of the responsibility of theater to speak about true issues in the world. Thank you for coming on the show, Melanie.
1: I'm happy to be here, Kat.
0: Um, So while I was looking through your bio, you've been involved in theater and film for decades now. So my (laughs) first question for you, have you noticed a change in the stories we tell or the stories that
1: audiences are drawn to? um to some extent i have um i think there's a certain uh consistency with audiences in that they like to laugh and mm-hmm. they um want to feel things and uh, they always love comedies they always love escapist kind of stuff but i have noticed um luckily more and more pieces that stir the heart and mind as well as are just pieces of escapist fluff nothing against escapist fluff we all all need escapist fluff Uh, but i had definitely seen seen those things crop up and on and and in a big way too uh, on Broadway as well, which uh, considering how much money it takes to mount a show on Broadway, I'm, I'm very impressed whenever they do a piece that hasn't been done or is maybe not an automatic audience pleaser, you know, uh, like uh, where you sing about the music of the night or something like that, you know, so, (laughs) so uh, yeah, uh, but you know, there's certain things about Human beings, I think, are consistent. They want to laugh. They want to feel. Uh, and more and more, I think our world is so connected that we are all thinking about things that maybe we didn't think about when I was a little girl because the world didn't seem as connected then. Now there's no way to escape the connection. We, we are in each other's faces all, all the time, so...
0: When you are working on a project or looking for a project to direct, what inspires you? Like, what really speaks to you when you're looking for, for that next thing?
1: Um, like, like, uh, like actors will say, as, as I say with my acting work, too, sometimes you just take the job you're offered because it's a job and you get and you get it and you get a paycheck and you do it. Uh, but when I have the chance to pick things, I notice I, I gravitate to one of two categories for the most part, uh, either a category of fun, fluffy, escapist, let's all just have a good laugh, like I did the plays, the thing at theater 40, you know, a few before, before I did the revolutionist and that was just silly fun. There was no social relevance to it at all. It was just silly fun. And I love that category. Or I find I tend to choose pieces that um, illuminate an area of our history or uh, our collective lives that hasn't been Illuminated that much, uh, like taming the lion, had to do with um, a, a gay man, a, a real person. I also tend to gravitate towards real people. I noticed <laughs> uh, a real person who um, was a gay actor who was going to be forced into what they call a lavender marriage and uh, marry a woman, even though he was gay. And uh, I noticed as I look back on my, I'm not going to illuminate, I'm not going to, you know, enumerate them all, but. I noticed that I have chosen pieces that had to do with real historical figures and their interaction with uh, the social issues of their time.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, it, it seems that there is a a continuity in even issues that have been discussed in some of the plays that you've worked on and issues that we still face today.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, you had mentioned previously that you were working on some new writing.
1: Would you yes. be able to
0: tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now?
1: Yes. Um, during the pandemic, like everybody, we took stock or we froze in place or we had a breakdown or sometimes we did all of those things. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I was doing quite a bit of reading during the pandemic because also. Uh, What was very prominent at the time was the Black Lives Matter uh, issue that was coming up. And I took the time to educate myself, read a lot more about Black history than I had known previously, which frankly isn't taught in schools, you know, at all. And I also, um, so I was reading a lot about that. It was also uh, because it was about to come up to the election for um, 2020 that it was a hundred years since women had gotten the vote. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a piece that had to do with women's struggle in this country, particularly to get the vote, which had happened in 1920. And um, so I put together a zoom reading with a lot of actors from theater 40 and some outside of theater 40. And we did that just before the election because um, I just don't think that that many people realize that the rights we have were not automatic. We had to fight for them. We had to um, do a lot of work over many, many years to get them. And that's true of women, that's true of Black people, that's true of Native Americans, that's true of everybody. So the pieces I am uh, now focusing on, one of them is a continuation of that suffragette theme. I'm doing a suffragette play and I'm also doing a play called uh Johnson slash Johnson, two presidents, same problem. And that is about uh Andrew Johnson and Lyndon Baines Johnson and their struggle with uh civil rights uh yeah. and, and how they dealt with that very, very differently and um uh Frederick Douglass is a character Martin Luther King is a character and uh and it's and it's funny it sounds like it's something that you'd have to take a test to to watch but it, it's, it's actually it's got it's got a little music in it is you know it moves very quickly you know I don't want people to go to sleep while they're learning something so yeah right. so yeah
0: you entertain while also oh, you have to entertain otherwise
1: people turn yeah. off yeah Brilliant. yeah exactly yeah
0: Now, the revolutionists was a tall task, dealing (laughs) with real people, um, the set design was a little bit complicated to to kind of structure and deal with, but um, you're doing everything in a very imagined modern version of their reality. How did you approach tackling that show?
1: Well, first of all, you've got a Lauren Gunderson play, and she's an amazing writer, so you're you're ahead of the game right there because she helps you out a great deal. Um, but as a director, and of course you as the actors, you all, we all had to walk that fine line between these are real people with real feelings, and yet they're in a surreal, not real environment, and yeah. um, and that was something that I worked on, like you said, with the set design. I had a lot of um, input with Jeff Rack, our wonderful set designer. He and I discussed the set, ways to um, ways to make the unreality uh, pertinent, and also to still have people in the emotional reality of where they were with these characters. And also the costumes. Uh, there was a the little things off with the costumes we wanted. We didn't want them to be completely realistic, and Michael, our costume and costume designer, I had a little bit of a, of a kerfuffle about that because he was like, well, that's not how they wore it in that time. And I'm like, yeah, well, but we're not trying to be completely on point with the costuming here. This is taking place in a surreal environment. And he and I finally came to a, a rapprochement about all that, but, um, but those are things, and you know, the filmy parts of the set. Some of it was very concrete and real. You remember I ordered you those little pens to stick on your desk, the little sword pens. Nobody was worries. actually at that time writing with sword pens, you know. Probably now nobody's writing with sword pens. <laughs> but I wanted to make the um, I wanted to make the uh point that the pen is mightier than the sword and that was why um and i don't know if anybody took that away from that little <laughs> little bit but that's what that was about
0: right and there's little nods to that throughout the show and throughout the things that you had added
1: right um, that i when we had men you know her original script doesn't have any men but in the original product well in one of the productions i saw they had the women interrogating the women in the scenes where they're you know being interrogated by uh by the powers that be and I didn't want women interrogating women I thought that went against the spirit of the play so that's why I was able to uh, get a couple of wonderful actors to come in and do those male voices for us and those male and that male presence for us so that we wouldn't have women going after women which I didn't want you know right yeah
0: right when we were first working on the project. We, I mean, we all knew the gravity of the intent behind the words. And um, as is said throughout the play, we don't write what we know, we write what we want. How true is that for you as a writer?
1: Um, yeah, I think everyone who writes in any kind of, uh, whether they write novels, plays, whatever, has always heard the write what you know. Uh, you know, uh, admonition, write what you know. And I think that's fine for us to write from our own experience, but there's so many things that we wouldn't have in this uh, world creatively if we all only wrote what we know. Uh, You know, we wouldn't have science fiction, we wouldn't have fantasy, we wouldn't have, uh, you know, historical novels because were you living back in, you know, the time of the pharaohs? No, you weren't. So you don't know about that or you only know what you read, whatever. Um, but then, I know the other thing you're talking about with that is um, rather than uh, writing about what your present circumstances are, write about what you hope will happen or what you visualize happening or what you would like to manifest happening that that kind of thing and um um i i that does influence me, but I think I do work myself from a more historical perspective along along the lines of um those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it kind of thing. So if you don't know that this has happened already and this has happened already and we screwed it up last time and we screwed it up this time, maybe we shouldn't screw it up this time, you know? So I I put those things out there in terms of let's look at where we've been. So we don't go there again, you know?
0: Right. So we can look at where we've, we've already approached some
1: of these subjects and this is the conclusion we came to. So. Right. And, and maybe we should, you know, go left instead of right, or we should go up right. and down or, you know, we should zig instead of zag, do something different. And then, of course, you can also show with writing wonderful things that have been accomplished in history right. where people did amazing things that are very admirable. It isn't all just a doom and gloom. Oh, my God, everything we've done <laughs> is awful, you know, but uh, but I do like showing historical perspectives because I think we learn so much from looking at where we've been. And then kind of imagining where we might go from there.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. that makes a ton of sense. Uh, what When you're writing or when you're directing, what do you hope that audiences will come
1: away with from your shows? Um, well, when I'm directing, uh, when I'm one of those directors, I, I don't like to impose a whole lot of things on a show. I'm very respectful of the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I think it augments the writing, then I'll put it in. Um, but what I I generally try to steer away from is people going out of the theater going what a wonderful director, I I, I don't really aim for that. I aim for them going what a wonderful play, what a wonderful experience. where there's actors wonderful? What a great story! And then somewhere in there they go, like, oh, and the direction was good. Is fine with me too because I I don't like to put myself front and center in these things. I think if I do that, I fail. I think the only time I got a super rave. my direction was when I directed a play I didn't like. Oh, and, <laughs> and the reason I got a super rave for it was because I put all kinds of stuff. I imposed all kinds. It was so obvious that the director had had her sticky little fingers all over it because <laughs> I was so afraid it was going to just tank if I didn't. And I practically directed every eyebrow twitch, which I usually do not do, you know. Right. And, and I got a rave, oh, marvelous directing because I put myself in front of it because I felt I didn't trust the play. I didn't trust the play. I did trust the actors, but I didn't trust the play. And therefore, I put myself front and center, which is not something I I usually like to do. Now, with plays that I write, my husband and I have discussed this because he's like, no, just tell a good story. And I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. tell a good story. But again, what I want when I write something is for people to go out and if they say, oh, she's a wonderful playwright, that's great. But what I really would love for them to say is start having conversations about the ideas that they discovered in the play, even arguments with each other about, you know, maybe things they hadn't even ever discussed before. If they're having fierce conversations out in the hallway after they see a play of mine and they don't even mention me, I am a happy camper (laughs) because (laughs) that's what I aim to do. I mean, I have an ego like everybody else. I love to get appreciation, but I'm mostly right because I want people to think about things and feel things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'd also on that note, love to talk to you about the musical that you wrote in the nineties. It enjoyed an off Broadway run, which is Mm -hmm. huge. I mean, how did that project first start? What inspired you to begin working on that musical?
1: Well, that was really a lifelong thing. Um, I'll I've so I'll, you know make a long story short but all my life i had been exposed to different religions and I've been exposed to different um I was raised uh Episcopalian but I was a, saying- I was a, you were too <laughs> yeah Okay, I was raised Episcopalian. And I was fine with the Episcopal Church. It was like kind of Catholic light, basically. Yep. And, uh, you know, and there would be jokes that if you were raised Episcopalian, the only sin is using the wrong fork at dinner or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but I started seeing these across any religion. I, my grandparents were Baptist. My grandmother, my grandfather was Southern Baptist. My grandmother was uh, Presbyterian, my, you know, there just, I just, and I had some Jewish friends, and I just, I ended up, go, and what I was seeing, uh, beyond the spiritual level, which I did like, was that there was a whole lot of exclusion. And tribalism, and a whole lot of us versus them, and they're bad because they dance, or they're bad because they only got sprinkled instead of fully immersed. You know, I had a Baptist tell me I was going to hell because I'd only been sprinkled instead of fully immersed in baptism, and <laughs> I was like you're so nice, it's so bad. Mm-hmm. The hell because you're mad (laughs) interesting line to draw but i know those lines (laughs) exist. yeah you know so um and then there was another john and i met in a church theater we didn't go to the Mm. church this was a congregational church actually but what we saw was that there was a, a couple there a gay couple and they did all of the lunches and they made all the food and they decorated and everybody loved them they loved them as long as they didn't talk about being gay as long as they pretended to be roommates instead of partners, you know, and I thought that was so, so unfair, you know, so there were just various things, you know, about Native Americans and how they were forced to, you know, and all these different people forced to convert to this, that, right? anyway, so I wrote this play, again, entertaining, it's sketches and it's uh, music And I wrote it with my friend, David Coleman, who was a wonderful uh, musician and composer who was unfortunately passed away. And um, uh, it was, uh, people would come expecting to be, to be offended. Uh, I got a lot of people there with their arms crossed waiting to be pissed off. And um, they, they, they weren't. Usually they were. I mean, sometimes they were, but usually they weren't because it was not really attacking belief or spirituality it was really satirizing all the different ways that we hurt each other with our different religious beliefs or we oppress each other with our different religious beliefs and how we need to stop that (laughs) and that was basically what it was about and so uh, people ended up really liking it and laughing and enjoying it and yeah
0: do you feel the messages in that piece still hold up today? I mean, I, obviously, I have my opinions on that. I think that we're still having the same conversations. But in your experience?
1: um, I would, say, I would say almost everything in that musical could still be done. There was one piece that I would have to either take out or update, which had to do with the uh, Serbian, Serbian-Bosnian War. Uh, um, yeah, and of course, that's not current. But... I did this very vicious song. Everybody was like, ooh, Melanie. I was like, yeah, well, this is what it was called ethnic cleanse, which is what they were calling about what they were doing to the Muslims in Serbia. They were eradicating them and they were calling it ethnic cleansing. And that I couldn't I would either have to change or take out because it isn't current. Everything else about how women are treated about how gay people are treated about how we scare people with going to hell and all that kind of stuff rather than talking about god loving you etc um all of those things i i could leave in there yeah it would still yeah. be apropos which is talking- one reason why when i originally did it here in town i produced it and directed it. no yeah. one was going to touch it, it yep. about religion nobody wants to touch anything about religion are we trying oh, yeah. to like you know Tank your theater. So I rented a theater. I got the. I did the costumes. I did the lighting. I did everything that you could possibly except for the musical part. David took care of all that. He got together uh, the musicians and he was our musical director and he was wonderful. But uh, it, but yeah, because I'm like, no, it's about it's about what? No, that's the third rail. You don't do anything about religion. I think now, like you said, though, with Book of Mormon and stuff, we're getting a little bit more open about talking about these things without everybody freaking out and pulling, you know, having their hair on fire or whatever. Of course, there's still a lot of people who do have their hair on fire about those things, but, but at least those things are out there and, and we are having some discussions until, you know, until some various political people stop us from having those discussions, I suppose.
0: Right. (laughs) I I mean, it, it uh bill was talking about this earlier as well um bill FitzHugh, i had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago that the use of satire mm-hmm. to, to get an audience on board with what you're talking about mm-hmm. is so important because otherwise they'll tune it out they don't want to mm-hmm. hear about things that make them uncomfortable so you right. lean them into a certain comfort level and then you have their ear exactly so, exactly yeah that's it's a very And that's what I
1: think we succeeded in doing. I think we did because we got very good reactions. We were selling out. Well, the L.A. Times Review, of course, helped, but then uh, we were getting good g- word of mouth. We had to close. A whole synagogue had booked the theater. They wanted to come, and we couldn't, uh, We couldn't, you know, accommodate them because the show was closing, but I was like, oh, I was really curious to see what a whole synagogue was going to think about this. I really would have wanted to talk to the rabbi afterwards, but I will never know because we had to close. <laughs>
0: That's such a bummer. That would have been a very interesting show. I'm- yes,
1: it would have been an interesting conversation. (laughs)
0: um now on that regard do you feel that theater has a responsibility to reflect these issues when they do come up
1: yes absolutely i mean everything that is happening in our world should be reflected in theater uh -hmm. from the lightest most fun silly thing to you know like a oh my gosh my big fat greek wedding or whatever you know you know silly family stuff whatever and 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 everything else that's going on yeah it just definitely should be reflected in theater and i think hopefully is and will be
0: now how do you feel the perception of theater has changed over the years if at all
1: um well um i think that kind of depends on where you live Uh, You know, the the big cities tend to have more focus on theater, especially New York, of course, um, or London um chicago uh and la to some extent but theater's always been the you know bastard stepchild here in la because it's always like film and tv <laughs> everybody's like yeah well go i would have a lot of actors i work with who like you know well i can't do that because i've got to go do a film or i've got to do i really want to be in your play melanie but what if i you know and i've had to replace actors or have understudies because they had to zip off and do which is understandable it's a paycheck you know theater yeah. I'm sure I don't have to tell you, theater does not pay well for the most part. No. <laughs> people have to make a living, you know, yeah. so, uh, and also theater tickets are expensive, and I think a lot of people feel priced out of, of going to theater, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and so I think that's one reason that we tend to put on things like, you know, murder mysteries and things like that, so people will feel like, well, if I go to the theater, at least I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to you know, get to solve the murder and, you know, and, and that'll be fun, something like that. But as far as perception, I think theater had a lot more um, respect in the early days of, of, of show, of film. And I mean, they were always going and getting books and theater and plays and taking them and making them into movies back in the day, it was like, oh, the, the latest play on Broadway, let's make it into a movie, or the latest book, let's let's uh, option it, and make it into a movie. You know, now it's much less of that. You know, where you it does happen, but it's not as much where where they're looking to theater for inspiration for film and TV. It's it's more uh, a separate entity from theater. Yeah,
0: right. Now. Throughout your career, you've done, seem to have touched all aspects of film and of of TV and um, of theater. <laughs> so in your experience through voice acting, I know you worked on um, some- Yes, um, yes. Some voice acting productions and anime shows and, and movies. Right. I, I noticed on your resume, you had Kiki's Delivery Service, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, and- your experience with film, your experience with TV shows, your experience in in theater. Where do you think the line is between how theater and film approach social issues? Is there one? Has it changed over time?
1: Um, yeah, well, I think everything has changed over time for the most part. Uh, I think that film... More and more will deal with social issues, and ha- especially um, on the niche streaming streaming services uh, mm-hmm. like HBO or um, you know Apple TV or whatever. I mean, uh, like the morning show, for instance, I'll just pop in my head. You know, they're they're dealing with Me Too issues and January sixth issues, and you know, I mean, I I don't know that that's something that other than Norman Lear, who we just lost, you know, the great Norman Lear, you know, uh, he, you know, would try to do social issues and got away with doing social issues as, com- uh, as comedy on TV shows uh, with All in the Family and Maud and, and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I do think that we more and more are approaching, uh well, even TV commercials, uh, Kat, look at, look at tv commercials now they have a bunch of interracial couples you know the last time I was auditioning for commercials a black guy and I were in the same you know we were cast as husband and wife and we're both laughing together because we knew that both of us would not be coming back there was no way they were going to cast us as a married couple it just wasn't going to happen but now it happens all the time and they have gay couples on TV and screen, you know, in commercials, you know. So these social acknowledgments are being made and people are even standing up for it when conservative uh, uh, elements in society are saying, we don't want to see that. It's like, well, you're going to. Sorry. You know, it used (laughs) to be it used to be back like in the South. They were always worried about how things were going to play in the South. You know, when Captain Kirk kissed Ahura and Star Trek and, you know, a white guy kissed the black woman on Star Trek. And you know, the South goes nuts, you know, and uh and they would worry about that then. Now it's more like, okay, well if you don't like it, you don't like it. There are plenty of people who are gonna watch and you'll just have to not watch, you know. So Yeah. Yeah. Do
0: you think um there is an obstacle, especially you had mentioned earlier, uh an obstacle of paying for tickets because theater yeah. price theater prices yeah. are, are much more than, yeah. than going to see even a movie and movie ticket prices are, movies are more too. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's one of the largest obstacles with theater today or do you think that there are other other things in the sphere
1: well um uh, i think every theater whatever their size has to worry first and foremost unfortunately about financial issues about keeping the doors open about getting the butts in seats about what will attract an audience. Uh, and then their second, uh, thought after that is content and what are we going to put up and, um, and how are we going to, who are we going to get and how are we going to craft our, our season or, or, or a one show if it's, you know, just a one show. Um, And and but financial is a big, big thing. A lot of theaters have closed because of not just because of the pandemic, but, you know, but partly because of the pandemic and struggled and continue to struggle because theater is a luxury, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people. I mean, you and I love theater and it's like, no, no, we breathe theater. What are you talking about? But, you know, but there are people who are like, yeah, you know, I need bread and I need, uh, no, I don't, I don't breathe theater. So yeah, groceries it, come first. <laughs> the first thing I got to pay the rent and I got to, you know, and theater is a luxury, which I may take my wife out on for her anniversary or something. And that's going to be it for the year or something. So financial right. is a big issue and how people react to things. There's a lot of there's a lot of criticism, a lot of you know on online. I mean, they can sync you these days with uh, all the criticism that you can you can get online, you know, yeah. so yeah,
0: how do you feel that um that advocacy and theater or and film really intertwine or relate?
1: Um, well, I did used to think that theater led the way more and film would follow. Mm. Now I'm thinking it may be the other way around or kind of the other way around. I'm seeing a lot more advocacy and pushing the envelope in film and TV than I'm than I'm mostly seeing on stage. I am seeing some great advocacy on stage too, but I'm seeing a lot maybe because there's more options for TV and film for them to Mm -hmm. go in many different directions, many different companies. And theater just doesn't have as many venues and many as many options but um right I think they're both trying to advocate and push push the envelope and uh but I do think that film and tv has a little bit more of a ability to do that than theater does sometimes right you know just because of all the places they can do it you know and all the venues and all how you can just sit home and watch it on your screen and you don't have to go anywhere you know that kind of thing
0: exactly it's more accessible
1: it's more accessible yeah
0: yeah awesome um well that's honestly that's a great place to end it that's uh, all the questions that I have for you
1: okay. okay
0: I hope you enjoyed being on the podcast and as soon as it's up I will uh, send you the link <laughs>
1: Oh sure, absolutely. I always enjoy talking about the arts, and and I enjoy talking with you, Kat. So, I hope that everything's going well for you, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, let me know anything you're doing. Obviously, last time I saw you, you were massively pregnant with the child of the Lord. So, oh yeah, in that show that I did for uh, for Bill, yep. <laughs> so
0: weekend only for me. Talk, okay. talk about
1: taking a shot there. Okay, <laughs> talk about <laughs> dangerous territory. <laughs> okay. So anyway, thank you so much, and it was my pleasure to talk with you.